Welcome to the Alexander Standard. Today's episode, Philip II. Hello, my name is Dustin. And I'm Meredith. And this is the Alexander Standard, and in each episode, we discuss and rank one of the successors of Alexander the Great, from Perdiccas to... Cleopatra Seven. So in our previous episode, we did the introductions, went over our format and ranking systems, and gave you a background of Greek and Macedonian history. Today, we're going to give you a little more background and also give a test run for our ranking system. We're going to be talking about Philip II, the father of Alexander the Great, the one-eyed goober who conquered Greece and created the great Macedonian state from which Alexander would embark on his conquest of the Persian Empire. Philip II. Philip number two. His name in Greek is Philippos, horse friend. Isn't that adorable? I love that. It's so sweet. He was the third son of a king. His dad was Amintas III. Oh. Who Not we, Philip I. No, and we don't really care about Amentos III. No, and that's fine. Suffice to say, he did rule from 393 to 370, but mm-hmm. as the third son, Philip's not in line to be king. So this is That's the, true. There that are two it, people ahead yes, of him. Yes, there are. And we're going to go through those two people. So his first brother, yep. his eldest brother, King yep. Alexander II, only rules from 369 to 367. Two years. Aww. And he dies. Nah. Around this time, Philip is sent around as a political hostage. Aww. Which is... Oh, well, yeah. That's kind of like schooling. He was the lesser brother. Yep. And so he was the expendable one. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's like, I've got two. Have the third. It's like, you want to help your family? Go over there. Just go over there. Stay with those people for a while. Okay. Um... After, so he's like, yeah, so he sent as a political hostage to Illyria, which was, even to the Macedonians, Illyria was a semi-barbaric area. Aw. So to the Greeks, I guess they're like three-quarters barbarian. Yeah. I don't know. I hate math. Um, After that, from 368 to 365, oh, did I say when Philip was born? He was born in 382. Okay. There you go. Um, After that, from 368 to 365, Philip is sent to the Greek city of Thebes. Woo! And Thebes, we didn't get a chance to go over it, but Thebes is the troublemaker. Yep. If ever something is going wrong in Greece, look no further. Thebes is going to be close by. Or they directly caused it. So at this point in Greek history, Thebes is on the up and up. What's wrong? Just trying to remember if that's the, uh, the town in Hercules. Yes. Where they're like, if you want to make it there, you can make it in Thebes. Or if you make it in Thebes, you can make it anywhere. That metaphor works. Because Thebes is always in trouble and causing trouble. So he's in Thebes, from, and, and while he's there, he's, um, he's under the stewardship or the mentorship of a Theban general, Pelopidas, who was one of the people who actually was the reason Thebes was doing so well, because they, they had spanked the Spartans <laughs> a couple years earlier. <laughs> I mean, they really caught them with their... With their toga down? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they tore their toga down. Oh, boy. So he's under this general Pelopidas. We're getting a good education, starting his life out. There is some rumor that there was a sexual relationship between Philip and Pelopidas at this time. For anyone who's doing math, if, th- if Philip is born in 382 and this is happening and he's hostage in 368, the age difference between Philip and Pelopidas what uh, might make you raise an eyebrow. It's concerning. Yes, it is. And, and it is absolutely the case that, you know, that kind of age difference is 
creepy and wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. But unfortunately, in the ancient world, that was not uncommon for this older mentor figure to have a romantic relationship with this um, younger individual that he's mentoring. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I mean, actually, the word is the aromenos, the mm. passive sexual partner, the one being pursued. Yeah. Um, weird to us, absolutely. Yeah. And well, yet, I, it I, happened. And I think in the you can. World. I think you can add another layer um, of concern onto it for the fact that he's a political hostage yeah. as well. Oh, there's definitely a power imbalance. Yeah. In, yeah, absolutely. Now, I wanted to be. I wanted to be understood when I'm when I'm getting at here. There's not. We're not saying there's anything wrong with the same sex relationship. It's the age difference that we're talking about. Yeah, and the power dynamic. The power dynamic. Now, you know, those things are absolutely wrong. And we can recognize it as such. And yet, in the ancient world, it is just a fact that that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Now, back in Macedon, Philip's other brother, Perdiccas III, had been ruling since 365. Okay. And in 360, he dies. Aww. And his son, Amentas IV, becomes king. But, oh, no, he is but... A wee bairn. Oh, no. He's just a little baby. A baby. He's just a baby. By now, Philip's back in Macedon. And Macedon's not doing so well. They are suffering from multiple invasions, defeated by the Illyrians invading in the west, the Paeonians invading in the north, the Thracians invading from the east, who actually had a pretender to the Macedonian throne, a guy named Pausanias, who really doesn't matter. They're big on the P names. Well, I'm going to throw an A name at you then. Okay. Here we go. And then Athens is invading from the south, and they are supporting another pretender to the Macedonian throne, a guy named Argaius. So we have multiple claimants to the throne, multiple invasions, Macedon's falling apart. And now we got a baby king? No. Recipe for success. Yeah, exactly. So Philip becomes the a regent for Amentas mm-hmm. because he's just the baby. He's baby. He can't. Rule on his In own. the words of Queen's podcast, babies don't need jobs. Babies don't need jobs, especially this baby. But really quickly, Philip just takes the throne instead. Yeah. From what we can see, it does not appear to have been any sort of palace intrigue or revolution. He didn't kill his little nephew. Yeah. But it seems that everyone around the room was like, look, no, we're not letting yeah. it. No, it's not time. Not, yeah. We don't, no, babies don't need jobs. If, we, if things were going great, Maybe. sure. You can be regent till he grows up, but things aren't going great. Things aren't going great. It seems to be like the writing was on the wall for everybody. Yeah. And so they swept, the army proclaimed Philip to be king. They put, I don't even know what happened to little Amentas. I think he just got went sent on vacation permanently. So according to the Roman historian Justin. He got sent to the farm. You know, they'll be like, what happened to my dog? Oh, they put him out to pasture. Yeah, they're, they're like, they, oh, he went to live on a farm. A farm in New York, yeah. No, I don't know <laughs> if they put him out to pasture, but I think he just went on permanent vacation. Oh. <laughs> now, according to the Roman historian Justin, we have, a little, we have a brief account here of Philip's early reign. All right. Okay, what kind of voice should I give here? Yeah. Just do your normal voice. No, I don't want my normal voice. That's boring. Philip, for a long time, acted not as king, but as guardian to this child. But when dangerous wars threatened, and it was too long to wait for the cooperation of a prince who was so yet to be, who was yet so young, he was forced by the people to take the government upon himself. That was good. Yeah. This summer. This summer. Philip is king. For the love of God. Not a baby. It can't walk yet. (laughs) So Philip immediately sets out to strengthen Macedon. 
So the first thing he does is he completely reforms the army. Up to this point, the Macedonian army just used standard Greek hoplite tactics. And again, you see all these notes? I'm about to burn, burn through them so fast. Hit it. That's right. It's going to be Fast and the Furious, but actually a good movie. Oh, cultural commentary. Oh. Yes. Now, hoplites were, were heavy infantry. They had a big round shield. They and a, and a spear that was like eight feet long. Now, con, in contrast to what you saw in the movie 300, this spear is not held like underhanded right now. We're talking about overhanded. Everyone lines up, you run, you mm-hmm. clash into the other line. Nice. And if the shock of that does not shatter their their line, then you just close and start stabby stabby. Stabby stabby. With your speary speary. Pretty simple. And yep. after that was implemented in Greece since like 800, yeah. it stayed the same. Nothing. Not broke, not, don't fix it. Yeah, and that was the mentality. Everyone's using this, including the Macedonians. Okay. But the Macedonians just aren't really able to... Doing it well? They're not doing it. Yeah, they're not doing it well. So Philip says, you know what? We can bang our head against the walls all day, but if it ain't working, it ain't working. Let's reform the whole army. And I can just, you can just kind of see all these great minds just sitting here thinking, like, I don't know what to do better. And then Philip's like, I got it. They got spears, right? Better. They stab us. Yeah. And they're six to eight feet, right? Make ours 10 to 12 feet. Even more. How about 18 to 22 feet long? Genius. I don't think one man could carry that. Not overhead, he couldn't. Oh. And now we're going to go underhand. Now we're going to go underhand. Now we're going to still. We're going to softball it. I at least could not. Well, see, that's the thing, Meredith. So, yeah, you couldn't. You even, like, even though you're holding it underhand, it would still give you problems. Yeah. So that's why you put a weight on the end of it. Oh, so you're dragging it. No. So you're holding it upright when you're marching. Yeah. But when you're going into battle, you lay it, it down. Tilt. But and so that you don't have to, like, hold it in the middle, you have this butt spike. The worst name ever. Or the funniest name Is ever. that its actual name? In English, yeah. The okay. butt spike. It's just this, this weight at the end of it so that when you're holding it, you can hold it at the end and stick the whole spear out for 18 to 22 feet. Oh, so you're not even near the other guy. That's the point. That's the beauty of I it. I like it. Now, of course, the, the shields can't be as big now, so the shields no. get a lot smaller. But in theory, you got 18 to 20 feet where the shield That's doesn't the matter. Thing. That's the point. But like so and so like the 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 formations are even bigger now. So instead of being like eight by eight, now they're sixteen by sixteen. Oh shoot! It's called a syntagma. So every Macedonian unit is two hundred fifty six men, and so oh, you've got God. sixteen dudes in a row. And then the first five, the first three or the three to five rows all have their spears down. So if you're coming at that infantry unit, yeah, and you, if I've got my spear pointed at you, and I'm twenty feet away, so you got to hack away at twenty two foot of spear before you even get close to me. Yeah. Now you might say like, yeah, I'll just keep hacking, whatever, man. Guess what? There there's are, another spear. Yes, and there's like three guys behind me who also have their spears down, and so you're having get, getting past my spear, but they're also but stabbing you now. Yeah. And then there's 15 other guys around me that are doing the same thing. Yeah. And so it is literally a wall. Now, Meredith. Meredith. Yes. Meredith. <laughs> you're not yawning. Okay. <laughs> What's the weakness you can think of here? So you got a bunch of guys, 256 men in a square, and they're just they're holding giant spears. What are they vulnerable to, you think? Um, they don't have big shields. Attacks from the side. Attacks from the side. Okay. Attacks from overhead, like attacks. arrows. Well, according to... Poli- well, I assume they've got helmets and things like that. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, if the shields have had to have gotten smaller, to my mind, you kind of lose that idea of, like, lift up the shields. You know. Mm-hmm. I imagine they're also kind of interlocked as well. Like, they themselves don't have much flexibility and movement other than to just, like, go straight. The Macedonian phalanx was 
very awkward. It couldn't, yeah, it could not, I doubt it could really shift and change can't. direction very could quickly. could not turn. Yeah, couldn't change direction, couldn't turn. The flanks were vulnerable, and if they were on rocky ground, they couldn't deploy correctly, yeah. and it would break up the formation. You might think that they would be vulnerable to arrow fire, but actually, the Greek historian Polybius, he had an answer for this problem. Polybius said that it was actually the spears themselves that, that helped protect the Mastodon phalanx from arrow fire. So you want to think about like a field of wheat blowing in the wind majestically. So you chunk an arrow into that. It's going to get through a lot of them. It's going to ping pong. Yeah, because they're just kind of waving back and forth and it's just going to, you know, break it off. Yeah. Yeah. But your rebuttal to that, Meredith. Yeah. In all things, um, statistically, I think I am the 1%. So, you know, I am that small percent that would get attacked by a shark if I went in the ocean. Therefore, I would be that small percent of soldiers that still got hit by the arrow. So even though they're saying, guys, don't worry, your spears are going to protect you from arrows. Yeah, it'd be that thing of like, they'd have to aim it to impact it, like this exact moment in which all the spears are moving this way. And I'd be like, but what if they do? that (laughs) moment exists. That could happen. And you know what will be there? My face. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Right home to my mother. He's like, no, he, he wasn't even actually fighting. He was just walking. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm assuming at that point I hadn't really gotten to do any action. Okay. So I literally did. How did he die? He was walking. <laughs> and um, an arrow out and of nowhere. Arrow, I mean, we knew statistically it and could then, happen. Yeah, and then she's like, what, what about the his spear? The spear didn't save her? No, it was pointing up in the air doing nothing. <laughs> All right, so the, well, as, as groundbreaking as the Macedonian phalanx was, it actually really was not what uh, decided most battles. The Macedonian phalanx played one part. It would actually serve to pin the other infantry in place while the cavalry would, would ride around on the flank oh. and hit the enemy in their backside. That sounded weird. It would hit the enemy in... Enemy in <laughs> flank them on the butt. <laughs> <laughs> it would hit the enemy in their flank and roll it up like a carpet. There you go. There you go. Yeah. You know it's, who else is rolled up in the carpet? Cleopatra. Yeah, yeah. That never happened. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think there was one account where she was uh, not in a carpet. She was like in a burlap sack or something. That which had to right. suck more. She Same got thing. smuggled in somehow somehow and she couldn't breathe probably. probably so this this whole strategy with the infantry pinning them into place and then the cavalry sweeping around it's called the hammer and anvil strategy and it's okay. something that philip and alexander use constantly they were all philip's also good at using combined arms and so he doesn't just bring in the phalanx and the cavalry he's bringing in everything he's got archers he's got skirmishers you know how they just got rid of hoplites Let's bring some of those anyway. Heavy cavalry, artillery, everything. It's like, we're not doing hoplites anymore. I'm retired. Well, no, you're still coming. Yeah, we just don't like you anymore. We don't. Your spears are so short. But get in line anyway. Try it. So he also is a proponent of total war. When Philip defeats you, you don't get to just run away and wait next year and have another fight. He's coming after you. Oh, he's going to mow man. you down. And he's, he's good on punishing his enemies. So no idea of like the off-season and on-season. Absolutely not. Ah. And if you betray Philip, he's going to kill you. We're going to get to that. Now, the Macedonian army also became professionally trained at this time. It's not just a citizen militia like mm-hmm. most other hoplite armies in Greece. The Macedonian army was continually drilled. They were once they were levied and brought on campaign. They were only dismissed when the king says they could be dismissed. I do feel like that's a common thread throughout history when you see a nation really like revolutionize and 
grow it's that they move away from like the calling up militia volunteers when needed to like we'll have an actual trained standing army Mm -hmm. because these guys are trained killers Mm -hmm. and they're not farmers who are getting called up to serve on campaigns intermittently and they're just praying to go home furthermore these soldiers are getting paid and they're getting paid according to their experience. Okay. So they have. So there's in, there's a incentive to stay longer. Indeed, yes. And also because he's paying the more valued veteran troops, he has loyal armies. Yeah. That are ready to fight for their king. It's a personal charisma and loyalty. So the other thing that Philip did to reform the Macedonian military was drastically inc- increase its numbers. Now we're not completely clear on how he did this. We know he started paying them more. But we do have some numbers to go by. By 359, the beginning of his reign, he had an army of 10,000 infantry and 600 cavalry. Debatable numbers. Mm -hmm. By 353, six years later, we have him on record putting forward an uh, army of 20,000 infantry and 3,000 cavalry. Mm. And by 334, when his son Alexander is getting ready to invade the Persian Empire, he's got 32,000 soldiers. Dang. Right. So there is apparently a big population boom going on during Philip's time as well. I was about to say, where are we pulling all these people from? That answer is also going to come from the other stuff he did. So his, his military reforms are also linked to his political reforms. He was able to unite the feudal aristocracy under his rule. And this had been a problem because, again, the Macedonian kings are first among equals. They have to contend with their nobles. And if their nobles don't want to play ball, and if the king can't enforce it, well, that's too bad. And Philip was able to take that disunity and really solidify his influence. He was able to uh, incentivize this kind of loyalty, for instance, by bringing the nobles and aristocrats into his army as officers. So they had incentive to be dependent on him and then were attached to him. So it paid off to follow Philip and yeah. not to conspire against him, for instance, even though he does get assassinated. His economic re- Spoilers. Indeed. Yes, his economic reforms, he recaptured a lot of the gold mines that Mastodon had lost control of. And this is what allowed him to fund his campaigns, to pay his troops, to build his cities, and has much more resources at his disposal than previous kings had. Okay. Furthermore, one of Philip's best, best strengths is his penchant for diplomacy he would fight you but philip also knew that sometimes it was better to make an alliance or to just talk things out and philip used a lot of alliances to bolster macedon's position and to isolate its enemies when we're set when we're saying philip had a penchant for diplomacy that doesn't mean he was a nice guy necessarily yeah. he was a backstabber for instance in 357 philip made an agreement with the city of athens who is going to be his nemesis for a while Philip promised to lease the city of Amphipolis to Athens, who had been unable to capture it, (laughs) after he took it. So he laid siege to it, and he's like, look, guys, I know you want this city. I tell you what. It was yours. If you let me take this, I'll give it back to you, and you give me a city that you took years ago. Okay. Because the Athenians... switcheroo. Right. The Athenians had taken an old Macedonian city called Pydna. Yeah. If you let me have Pydna, let us us have that back... When I conquer Amphipolis, I'll give it back to you. Well, he Oh, took... so a third party has Amphipolis. Amphipolis was independent. Oh. And Philip wanted it. Oh. And so did Athens. And... Athens couldn't get it. Okay. And he's like, okay. don't worry, Athens. When I'll conquer that, I'll give it back to you. Rather. Yeah. And you'll give me back. You'll give me back Pydna. Because Pydna had been a Macedonian, Macedonian city. city. Yeah. 
Well, we want it back. Philip is successful at taking Amphipolis. And then he just takes Pydna and he keeps both of them. There you go. Exactly. Man, Athens does not forget that. Philip's also an, a superstar. He's an athlete, Meredith. Did you know that Philip in 356 actually won the horse race at the Olympics? No. Okay. I was trying to think of something wittier to I know, say. Yeah. Like, I don't know any of this, Dustin. I did not know. Yeah. Well, this so. is, well, this is like indicative also of this affinity for Greek culture. Yeah. The Macedonians saw themselves as being Greeks, and they yeah. wanted to take part in Greek society. Yeah, so what better way to prove how Greek you are than winning the Olympics? Exactly. One of the good things about Philip's diplomacy was he was all about positioning himself as the protector. I'm here to help people. Mm-hmm. He was he would back that up. He wanted to be that benefactor. Yeah. Because then they'd owe him one. Yeah. Just like Dwight and Andy on the office. But he was also merciless if you if you betrayed him. Yeah. <laughs> so in 348, for instance, when we're talking yeah. about his what happens when you betray Philip. Uh, there was a city named Olynthus. Now they were the the lead city on the Chalcidian Peninsula. And all we need to know in northern Greece, there's you know when it starts. Getting towards Byzantium, there's like three little jagged peninsulas that stick out. They're like the fingers. Okay. The fingers of Greece. That's the Chalcidian Peninsula. The lead city there was a city called Olynthus. They had been a Macedonian ally, but then they decided to betray Philip, and they asked for an alliance with Athens. Damn. And so Philip laid siege to the city, burned it down, enslaved the population. Okay. And again, Olynthus is the lead city on the Chalcidian Peninsula. And so he just does the same. So all the other fingers all, are like, oh, all God. the other ones, all the other cities on the Chalcidian Peninsula just get raised to the ground too, and their populations enslaved. An overreaction. Here's another aspect about Philip's diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Now all of this I put under the category of diplomacy. Polygamy. Yeah. The Macedonian kings practice polygamy. Notice that I said the Macedonian kings because we don't have evidence that the Macedonians themselves did this, but definitely the Macedonian kings. Yeah. So, I can see that for purposes of, like, diplomacy. Making alliances. And, that's and ex- alliances and stuff. And that's exactly what Philip did. He had seven wives. Their names, Aldata, Phila, Nicasipolis, Olympias, the mother of Alexander one. the Great, Philina of Larissa, and Mida of Odessos. Not Odessos, not Odessa in Ukraine. This is a Bulgarian city. And then his final wife, a lady named Cleopatra. Oh, see, for a while there, I was like, Olympias? Olympias was the mother yeah. of Alexander. Well, no, I was just like, as you were naming the names, I'm like, these all sound rather kind of like floofy. And then you get like, Olympias. And you're like, yeah, you know she's in charge. But then you come in at the end with a Cleopatra and you're like, oh, no. I would still say Olympias was the one, was yeah. the one in charge. Now, most of these, like the first four of them were like within two years of each other. He seems to have taken a break after then. but We um, have like a sister-wives situation going on? Were they all living together or were they all in their own separate houses? You know what? That is a great question and I don't know. <laughs> all right. So now we have the period of uh, Philip's life called expansion and conquest from 359 to 346. So we've talked about like how Philip strengthened Macedon and now here's what it looked like on a timetable. Let me tell you a little bit about Philip's ego. Now this is going to be something we're going to see a lot of with Alexander. By 357, two years into his rule, he founds his first city, named after himself, Philippopolis. <laughs> and that's just the standard. There's a couple of Alexandropolis out there, and that's where you're going to get work names like Constantinople. Yeah. Centuries later. Constantinople. Constantinopolis. 
Yes. A year later, when he captures another city, he changes its name to Philippi. A little I bit like Philippi better yeah. than Philolopolis. I like Phila Cakes instead of Philippi. That was terrible. Do you want to go get cake? Is I that would, what I'd you're li- asking? I'd, I would like cake right now. Um, but all was not always perfect. From 355 to 354, Philip loses his right eye while capturing, no. a, yeah, while capturing a city. And we actually know what they used to remove it, the oh, surgery. God. No, it was I called, just, yeah, I just saw it on your notes. Yeah. It was called the Spoon of Diocles. God. Now, we don't. it was named after its creator. <sighs> we don't have any modern examples of it. it would, I really don't we think do, they're that, in our drawer. I, <laughs> you can't like, tell me there was something wildly different about this spoon. I don't think so. And I will tell you that I think just, just by a, the name of it, I think just by the name of it, that tells us all we needed to know. It was Diocles. It's not the spoon of. That's a mistranslation. It was just Diocles' spoon. Well, yeah. They're like, was, someone to help. He's like, I have a spoon. Give me a spoon. So the big step in his, in Philip's ascension and his rise to power took place because of something called the Sacred War. Now, we're not going to go into that. Basically, all we need to know is it took place in northern Greece. It was a religious war over the oracle at Delphi. (laughs) What? I I know about her. Yes. She was just getting high on them mountains. She makes me giggle. Yeah. I'm going to throw some names. Just bear with me on this. It It was fought at first between the Amphictyonic League, which just means the League of Neighbors, who were led by Thebes oh. against another Greek city, the Phocians, who were supported by Athens. Oh, God. Now, ha- now here we have a principal kind of element to, or one of like the themes to Philip's in- his entire early career. Yeah. He's trying to keep Thebes and Athens off balance and keep them from allying with each other. Because if Thebes and Athens join together, they'll that, beat Macedonia. They have a chance of doing it. As long as Thebes and Athens are not together in an alliance, mm-hmm. then Greece is weak. Okay, so this is like from my favorite time period how Henry VIII had to keep playing uh, Spain and France off of each other because if Spain and France joined together, mm-hmm. they would beat him up. Exactly. I think that's a great way to look at it. All right, so during the Sacred War, like we said, like one of Philip's main goals was to keep Athens and Thebes off balance. How this happened is in 354, early into the war, uh, the, a group of Greeks named the Thessalians, they asked for Philip's help because they had just got their little patooties kicked, and they said, please come help us. And Philip says, sure thing, buddy. And so he brings into the war, and he is able to strike an alliance with the Thessalians and with Thebes. So now Philip is in alliance with Thebes against Athens and their, and their buddies. This is big. Now, in return for Philip's help, he is actually elected as the leader or the president, for our purposes. Uh, the Greek word would be Archon of the Thessalian League. Now... The Greeks love leagues. There's, I'm getting that impression. You're getting that impression? So there's no Greek kingdom, but I'll tell you one thing. There's some Greek leagues out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they love a good confederation. It's like everybody loves a committee. Yeah, so what we're looking at here basically is when you see a reference to the, the Thessalian League, that's the region of Thessaly with all yeah, those little cities and everybody there. everybody in that area. And they're kind of in a league together. And so this Thessalian League now basically allows Philip to take control. This is a very significant moment and his growth and his political power of Philip. Yeah. Because Thessaly remains under Macedonian control for 150 years after this. Wow. Yeah, this is big. Eventually, Thebes 
even asks Philip to just to be the leader of Greece. Thebes is like, you know what? I'm tired. You know, it's funny that you mention you should mention that because like being tired of war actually comes up in a minute. Oh. Yeah. All right. So effectively, Philip now controls northern Greece. Big, okay. Big step in Macedonian expansion. However, because he's done this. There are some rising tensions between Macedon and Athens now. Yeah. So the the uh, this sacred war actually lasts until 346. Okay. Philip is only active in the beginning part of that war. Okay. He's only active in the first two years. After 352, Philip never goes back to Greece for eight years. Because as soon as he comes in, he knocks some heads around, and he's, you know, the president of the Thessalian League, and Thebes is all buddy-buddy with him. He's got an alliance with them. Athens started to move, and they actually moved some troops into Thermopylae, the scene of the movie 300. Hello, hello, Charm. There you go. Good girl. That's right. And this is the start of a Cold War, essentially, because Philip can't push and attack mass Athens at this point. If he goes, in so- if he goes like farther south into Greece and fights Athens at this point, he's declaring war on all of Greece. Yeah. And he doesn't want to do that. He wants to be seen as the liberator and the protector. So he backs off for a while. Philip's not giving up. He's just recognizing yeah. now's not yeah, the time. Yeah, not the time. Yeah. Biting off more than I can chew. Exactly. Why risk it all? And so while he's while that's happening, he decides to just stabilize his borders and just kind of clean yeah. up his backyard a little bit more. Tighten it up. I just realized I made a math error. 352 to 346 is six years, not eight. I just felt everyone in the world raining judgment upon me for getting that wrong. Philip goes north and west and east in this time. Basically, he goes everywhere except for south. Yeah. Because Athens is down there waiting on him. He goes into Thrace, modern-day Bulgaria, and he starts to threaten Athenian control of trade routes and food supply. We start having some proxy wars. So Athens and and, uh, Macedon are not fighting each other directly, but they began to fight each other's allies. By 348, some people in Athens started talking about peace. Mm -hmm. A lot of Athenians were exhausted from war. So, one person named Philocrates, he's going, to come, he's going to be slightly important in a minute, he starts proposing peace in Athens. Now, at first, the Athenians completely overruled this. They actually put Philocrates on trial. He gets acquitted, but still, <laughs> there were still a lot of people who were saying, yeah, we're exhausted, but we're not making peace with that guy. It's like, shut your dang mouth. That's right. In 347, Thebes sent Philip another message. So, as like, like I told you, he had... He was active in the beginning of the Sacred War yeah. for two years, but then he had backed off and he'd stayed out of Greece. Yeah. Well, in 347, you know, good five years into the war, now Thebes is asking again. They're like, we need you to help us it's end like, this. It's like, you need to come over. Yeah. And so Philip starts to make a move. He does it in a very strange way. Oh, okay. Yeah, and actually this is one of those instances where Despite the usual paucity of evidence, we actually know what was going on here on a kind of week-to-week basis. We actually have a lot of details. So, for instance, I can give you the month. In January of 346, Philip makes it publicly known that he's starting to move towards, in, towards Greece. He starts setting up his troops. He's, ma- he's like, making it perfectly clear, clear what he's doing. Yeah, like, you can't really question yeah, like, what's happening He's anymore. amassing troops on the border kind of thing, and, like, everyone knows. And so Greece is on alert. 
Now, a lot of historians have has, have speculated as to why he did this. Is he making? Because if he's trying to surprise anybody, he's doing a yeah. bad job. Yeah. So that means he wants people yeah, to know he's, he's coming down. Yeah, he's maybe just hoping the fact of like, oh, he's mobilizing will make people be like, let's stop. Like, let's talk about this. Let's. Yeah. Have some talks. Did he actually want peace at this point? Does he have bigger fish to fry, such as Persia? Mm. Right. So this takes place in January or around early February. By mid-February, everyone in southern Greece is on alert. Focus is the... um, the people who had actually started this war. I'm sorry. Focus, yeah. I thought you were telling me to focus. No, no, no. All right. It's like, focus? I'm yeah. like, I am. Let me try that. Oh, yeah. Um, by mid-February, the Fokayans, who had actually started. <laughs> oh, I'm not cussing you out. That's the Fokayans. No, no I'm <laughs> laughing at, like, how different that is from when you were, like, focus. And focus. It's like, oh, sorry. <clears throat> the, the Fokayans. Yeah. So by mid-February, the Fokayans had asked for Athens' aid. They were like, oh, my God, Philip's coming. You've got to help us. He's amassing. He's amassing. Athens? orders a military draft everyone eligible for military service under the age of 40 had to be ready and actually had to go towards focus <laughs> towards the Focaians and help them go focus and Focai. even sparta sent a thousand troops oh my goodness yeah i'll put it like this to sparta that's a lot right yeah now. sparta's like you have our all right and for every other city it's like that is a drop in the bucket right so philip's coming down yep the Phocians are down there and they started this war and they're freaking out and now they're like athens you gotta help us athens says okay you got it buddy everybody under 40 let's go fight let's go even sparta throws in yeah but by the end of february the Phocians changed their mind they're just like you know what no here's what happened here's what done did happen there's this exiled general named phalikos mm. and he returns to power we don't know exactly. Oh, that. in in Fikayan? Yeah, in the Fikai, like in Focus. In Focus. <laughs> in the city of Focus, um, he returns to power. We don't know exactly why or exactly how. Stabby, Pro- stabby. It's probably because the troops were not being paid there, oh. and they realized that they weren't gonna get paid, mm. and so they brought this guy in, and they were like, you know what? No one's gonna pay us. It might be better for us to just go ahead and make peace with Philip. Yeah, it's like let's just go ahead and have a coup. Now, the Phocians are actually in control of Thermopylae, and so they tell the Athenians, you can't come over here. And so now the Athenians are like, well, what are we going to do? We and were so, supposed to help. Yeah, and so they immediately change gear. Now the Athenians are like, you know what? Peace is actually a good idea. Well, I mean, if the guy that was asking you for help is suddenly like, I don't need help anymore. In fact, I'm against you. I'd be like, I'll just go home. Yeah. So they, actually, so they actually start sending a peace delegation to Philip. Okay. Now, there's a few names here, but one of the, but two of the most important ones are Philocrates, the, yep. first, the guy yep. who initially proposed peace, mm-hmm. and Demosthenes. Now, that name is important because Demosthenes is an indication to us of how people are kind of shifty in Athenian politics. Demosthenes was really all about peace at first. Yeah. But what's going to happen is he's eventually going to be all about war with Philip. Well, yeah. as you do. Fun fact, I don't know what this means, and I actually don't know why this happened, but in that initial peace delegation to Philip, Demosthenes is like doing a, they say he's actually doing a good job in his speech, he's very eloquent and smooth, and all of a sudden he just stops Mm -hmm. and freezes. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he just passes out. Well, yeah, he has this high-stress situation. Yeah, I think the poor man had a panic attack. Probably. Yeah. Um, He's like, I'm doing it. Five more lines. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, they hammer out a piece. By April of 346, it's called the, the Peace of Philocrates. 
And it's named after the guy who first proposed. I was about to say, oh, that's yeah. sweet. At least they he gets credit for that him. after putting him on trial for just bringing it up in the first I place. I know. <laughs> Peace between Macedon, Athens, and all of their allies. Wonderful. Macedon was able to retain control of Amphipolis. That I city, they're still just over there <laughs> that like, city that they stole. that thing you couldn't get? Yeah, so in, in, in the initial like peace deliberations, that was one of the conditions that the Athenians had proposed. Like, maybe as part of this, you should give us back Amphipolis. Is it a giving back situation? Athens never had it. Athens had it, I think, a long time ago. Oh, get over yeah. it. Yeah, but so they're just like, we want it back. <clears throat> but guess what? They didn't get it. Basically, Athens was really weak at this point because yeah. the the Phacaeans had defected. Yeah. And so Athens like, well, now we've got nobody. And so they had to take whatever terms Philip demanded. Bam. Right. Philip actually delayed signing the treaty for three months. <laughs> they sent another delegation to him. He wasn't there. They, <laughs> he wasn't home. They said, we want to go where he is right now. They said, wait, he'll be back. He didn't come back. They went looking for him. They finally found him. And then he said, ah, oh, I have to go again. But you guys can totally come with me. When he got back to the city and he was just like, oh, yeah, I got to go do something. They just happened to notice there's a lot of soldiers here. He's getting ready for a military campaign. What is going on he's like no 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 no, guys 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 it's not you it's not you i'm going north yeah there's a barbarian town i've got to take other care direction of. other direction don't worry this isn't for you you can come with me it's gonna be fun and they go with him and while he's there while they're with him that's right charm and while they're with him he signs the treaty you'll never believe this charm while he was delaying them and and kind of playing these games and making them follow him around he had rushed some troops down to Thermopylae while the Athenians were gone. So you can imagine, they're just running around like, hey guys, come on, no, these troops aren't for you. Come all over here north with me. He's like, come north, and then you're like, who are and so are then those Phillip's, guys going? Yeah, it's Phillip's like, like, they're look. the reserves. <laughs> and Philip's looking over their shoulders like, go now, go, 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 go. And so while these guys are back there, there are these troops that are at Thermopylae now who have taken position while the Athenians were gone, and the Athenians don't find out until those diplomats were on the way back from Athens. They look like idiots. We're going to look like idiots. We're going to look like idiots. It's like bamboozled again. So things are kind of tense, and even they go back now, some people are like, we, we, this alliance sucks. <laughs> this is stupid. But even then, the Athenian assembly was just like, you know what? It does just suck. Let it Let's be. just let it go. <laughs> Philip has gained a major victory here. He's got, he's pushed, he's inched his way into Greek politics. He's got, an, he's got alliances with all the major Greek city-states. He's even in an alliance and treaty with with Athens, Athens, and then he kind of bamboozles them while they got their back turned, and they don't do anything and about it. And they can't it. do anything. Exactly. Philip, again, he wants to portray himself as the protector of weak states. Mm -hmm. And by now, he is actively preparing for a war against Persia, because a lot of those people in Athens who want him, who want to maintain that peace, that's what they're saying. And we have some of these speeches. So, for instance, in that same year, the Greek orator philosopher Isocrates 
encourages Philip to unite Greece for a war against Persia. Remember how the Thebans had asked him to be the leader of Greece? Yeah. Well, we see more of now that we're now more. in Athens. So, for instance, in his speech, Isocrates says, I assert it that it is incumbent upon you to work for the good of the Hellenes, to reign as king over the Macedonians, and to extend your power over the greatest number possible of the barbarians. For if you do these things, all men will be grateful to you, the Hellenes for your kindness to them, the Macedonians if you reign over them, not like a tyrant, not but like a king, and the rest of the nation if by your hands they are delivered from barbaric despotism and are brought under the protection of Hellas. Please lead us against the Persians. Yeah, I was, yeah. I'm like, you sound like a, some Star Trek character. I, don't, I have no idea what voice I was doing there. So for the next few years, we do have further expansion. West against the Illyrians again. I only mention that because this is where Philip gets one of his famous injuries. It's going to come up in a minute. He injures his leg. Yep. Then he, in 342, he goes and marches against the Scythians in the north. Bunch of people on uh, horseback. Don't know what happens there. I think he won. Now, in 340 to 339, he actually laid siege to two big cities. One of those is going to be very familiar to you. One was Perinthus, and the other was Byzantium. Baby B. Big city. And mm-hmm. actually, both of those sieges failed. Oh. So we have a little chink in the armor here. Mm-hmm. And with these failures. Now he's already missing an eye, and now he's got a gimped leg. <laughs> Exactly. And now his position in Greece has been compromised, and Athens jumps on it because tensions are rising even more now. Darn it. Because since 344, Philip was making new alliances in southern Greece, and many people thought that was a breach of the peace of Philocrates. Now, Philip tried to offer a common peace again with Enet between everybody, but Athens isn't having any of it. For instance, remember that guy Demosthenes who passed out mid-speech? Well, yes. Well, now he is. Now he is a awake. He's awake, and he is a, and he's more confident now. And he is a staunch opponent of Macedon, and he oh. is actually pushing the Athenians to break the treaty and declare war on Macedon. Now, this is two years after they signed the treaty. These people don't know what they want. Exactly. In one of his speeches, called the Second Philippic. So he made all these speeches, and they're just called the speeches against Philip or the Philippics. So he says, For observe, he wants to rule you, and he has made up his mind that you, and not only you, and only you, God, he said, for you and only you are his rivals. He has long injured you. Of nothing is he more conscious than of that. For it is by holding the cities which are really yours that he retains safe possession of all the rest. And he, and he feels that if he gave up Amphipolis and Potidaea, his own country would not be safe for him. He knows then that these two facts, that he is intriguing against you and that you are aware of it. Assuming that you are intelligent, he thinks that you are bound to hate him. And he is on alert, expecting some blow to fall, if you can seize an opportunity, and if he cannot get the blow in first. So basically... He's coming for you. Can't trust yeah. Can't trust this guy. Not my kind of guy. Demosthenes makes several speeches to this effect. Just a few years later, the fourth Philippic, he actually encourages the Athenians to get aid from Persia to attack Macedon. That sounds very contrary yes, to like their entire history. About 150 years ago, yeah. the Athenians had been tangling with Persia. Yeah. Now, they're ask, now they're being encouraged to ask for Persia's aid. Well, you'll never believe. Persia said no. (laughs) (laughs) But guess who else heard about it? Macedon. Philip heard about this, and he's not happy. No. Philip's pissed. Yeah. 
So Athens, now they now know that they've pulled the trigger on this. They can't go back. And they start gathering allies and preparing for war. They denounce the treaty with Philip, and Demosthenes convinces the Thebans to join Athens. This joint alliance between Thebes and Athens started to force smaller states to pick sides. And by 340, Philip was convinced that Athens couldn't be reasoned with, and that military intervention was necessary, and the worst thing happened. The one thing that Philip had been trying to avoid the entire time had come to pass. A military confrontation between Greece and Macedon. He was fighting a united Greece. That was what he was trying not to do the whole time. Mm-hmm. But let's take a short break for a quick public service announcement. Well, hi. Didn't see you there. I'm Philip of Macedon. You might know me from my roles as the King of Macedon. Hegemon of the League of Corinth, father of Alexander the Great, and one of my lesser-known roles, Val Kilmer in 1995's Batman Forever. Today's episode is about me, Philip of Macedon. But I want to take a minute to talk to you about something serious. Peer pressure. Now, (laughs) I'm no funny-nutty, but I know firsthand the dangers of succumbing to peer pressure. You might say to me, Hey, don't flip your lid and be a stick in the mud, you square nerd. Well, let me tell you, bucko, it only takes a slow kick to make you slip on a sinking ship. Just suppose, you're on the playground just fooling after your schooling, and then your friends Boris and Andy come up to you and say, Hey, let's go into that field and throw rocks at chickens. Sounds harmless, right? Well, I'm here to tell you, Daddy-O, pretty soon you'll be puffing luckies behind the chemical plant and stealing dough from your pop's purse. Next thing you know, you're laying siege to a city and someone chunks an arrow at your face. And then the doctors have to scoop your eyeball out with a dirty spoon. And if you think I'm being gross, well, that actually happened to me. Now I'm covered in bruises on my right side from bumping into walls. And whenever I say, far out, it's not because I think something's cool. It's because I don't have any depth perception. So take it from me, Philip Macedon. Beer pressure is for squares. So just say no or you might lose an eye. Now, back to our regularly scheduled programming. And we're back. So now we're in the period of final Greek resistance from 338 to 336. Back where it all began with Greek history. Sparta, Athens, and Thebes. First things first, we have the invasion of Laconia. That's just the region of Greece where Sparta is. He sends a message to Sparta. And he said, because he, he's again, he, he wants to be diplomatic when he can. This is a famous scene for Philip, one of my favorites. He sends a message to Sparta, and he lets him know, he's like, listen, if I come into Laconia, I'm going to burn Sparta to the ground. So you need to lay down your arms right now. And I'm just going to say that again because there's part of this message that's pertinent in Sparta's reply. If I bring my army into Laconia, I will burn Sparta to the ground. Supposedly, the Spartans sent back a reply with one word. If. if. <laughs> and he didn't. He, he did. did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. So he, he came in and he ravaged Laconia. He did not destroy Sparta, probably because they respected them or he thought they were funny, but he did come in and just ravage the area and destroy it. Athens and Thebes, however, that's a different story. This was the final resistance, the final line. Athens and Thebes and Corinth and a bunch of other cities had come together in this big alliance to stand off against Philip. And it all came to a head in 338 at the Battle of Chironea. 
featuring none other than Philip's young son, Alexander the Third, who took a ma- who played a major role in the battle. So we actually have an account of this battle. Maybe's first battle. Mm-hmm. The armies deployed at dawn, and the king stationed his son, Alexander, young in age, but noted for his valor and swiftness of action on one wing, placing him beside his most seasoned generals, while he himself, at the head of picked men, exercised the command over the other. Individual units were stationed where the occasion required. On the other side, dividing the line according to nationality, the Athenians assigned one wing to the Thebans and kept the man of the other themselves. Once the joined, the battle was hotly contested for a long time, and many fell on both sides, so that for a while the struggle permitted hopes of victory to both. Then Alexander, his heart set on showing his father his prowess and yielding to none in will to win, ably seconded by his men, first succeeded in rupturing the solid front of the enemy line, and striking down many he bore heavily on the troops opposite him. As the same success was won by his companions, gaps in the front were constantly opened, corpses piled up, until finally Alexander forced his way through the line and put his opponents to flight. Then the king also in person advanced, well in front and not conceding credit for the victory even to Alexander. He forced back the troops stationed before him, and by then, compelling them to flee became the man responsible for the victory. More than a thousand Athenians died in the battle, and no less than two thousand were captured. And the same thing for the Thebans. Yes. Decisive mm-hmm. Macedonian victory. Now, Thebes, in this way, had betrayed him. And Philip does not tolerate betrayal. He did not destroy Thebes, but he did kill all the ringleaders for the rebellion and permanently stationed a garrison inside the city. Athens now is shaking in their boots mm-hmm. because Thebes had just been aggressively humbled and Athens thinks they're next. But actually, Philip did nothing. He was very lenient on them because he wanted to, co- to, again, to create this image that he was a protector and he was a liberator and he was not a tyrant. And he wanted to send that message that I don't want to kill you, but look at Thebes. I'll do it if I have to. Yeah. Yeah. Now Philip just goes around. He's consolidating Macedonian control over the rest of Greece. His future plans include... Persian invasion. He wants to have the Greeks as willing allies. And so he forms the League of Corinth, which is hilarious because it has nothing to do with Corinth. Corinth is just another big city. And so they're really the only ones that haven't had a major league for them at the center. <laughs> it's their turn. You know, we've had Athens in the, in the Delian League and Sparta had the Peloponnesian League. Hell, the Thebans had the Boeotian League and you got the Thessalian League. What has Corinth been doing? Okay, we'll make it the League of Corinth. Now, the League of Corinth technically made Philip the hegemon, so he was just the chief commander. And supposedly everyone, was, everyone in the league was voting democratically and proportionately, but what really was the case was that Philip was in charge. He just did not want to have the perception of him being the conqueror of Greece. So he's just their buddy. He's just their ally. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Philip becomes the hegemon and the strategos, the general of Greece. And he gets ready for his, uh, his new campaign against Persia. Before then, however, after Chironea, he has some problems. First of all, he has an argument with Alexander. Aww. Yes, it's actually a very good story. This is according to the story in Plutarch. The disorders in his household, due to the fact that his marriages and, and amours, carried into the kingdom the infection, as it were, which reigned in the women's apartments, 
I think it's kind of sexist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because the ladies are getting upset. Produced many grounds of offense and great quarrels between father and son, and these the bad temper of Olympias, his wife, blaming it on the women again, who was a jealous and sullen woman. Oh, God. Yes. Sexist. Made still greater since she spurred Alan Alexander. God, just blame the women for everything. Come on, Plutarch. The most open quarrel was brought on by Atlas at the marriage of Cleopatra, a maiden whom Philip was taking to his wife, his last wife. Falling in love with the girl when she was past, when he was past the age for it. All right, that's creepy. Um, <laughs> so even the historian's like, you're too old, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Even when the ancient historians Marines say... are like, this is inappropriate. Even, yeah, you're when, old. When the ancient historians are like, so a creepy old guy was, was hitting on this girl, you know it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Atlas now, who was the girl's uncle, being in his cups, I have no idea what that phrase being means. Drunk. Nice. Mm. Uh, he called upon the Macedonians to ask of the gods that, who, that from Philip and Cleopatra there might be born a legitimate successor to the kingdom. At this, Alexander... And Alex goes, excuse uh-huh. me? Yes. Actually, he kind of does actually say that. He says, like, at this, Alexander was exasperated, and with the words... But what of me, base wretch? <laughs> Do you take me for a bastard? Through and, and that other brother and then over he, there. And then he threw a cup at him. Good boy. <laughs> so then Philip rose up against him with drawn sword. But fortunately for both, his anger and his wine made him trip and fall. Good boy. Yes. Uh, then Alexander, mocking him, said, Ow. Look over here, guys. Here is one who is preparing to cross from Europe into Asia, and he's upset and trying to cross over from couch to couch. After this, the drunken broil, Alexander took Olympias and established her in Epirus while he himself went to Illyria. So he, call- <laughs> so he, he calls his dad old. He calls him an old, walk. an old drunk. Like, look at this guy. He went across the purse. You can't even get off the couch. We have to go, Mom. We got to go. We got to go. It's like I said what I said, but and now I I'm going to run away. And he's going to be mad. He's going to get up. <laughs> like He's going to be sober tomorrow, and he actually walks quite well for his age. Mm. So they, they, they're they gone for a while, but they make up and come back. Probably because everyone was like, look, he's the heir apparent. He's your heir. You need to have him in there. But they just keep always getting into scraps constantly. So they're like, am I a bastard? So the one thing to tell you, and then threw a cup at him. Eh. Boom. So the one thing to take away from this, again, is Alex and Philip didn't get along all the time. Yeah. This wasn't the only time either. Between 338 and 336, Philip's preparing for his Persian expedition. He already he had been in work for 10 years at this point. Yeah. He actually already had 10,000 troops over in Asia Minor getting ready for that campaign. Ready to go. So this wasn't just talk. He was doing nope. it. And once Alexander comes to the throne, he actually really is just picking up what his father had been planning to do the entire time. Cool. All right. Unfortunately, Philip's not able to take part in the campaign because he was too busy being dead. Yeah. So in 336, at the wedding celebration of one of his daughters, Cleopatra, he was assassinated. This is your new stepmommy. So the name Cleopatra. She has your same name. We're going to find like... Everyone's Everyone's Cleopatra. Cleopatra. Yeah. So at the wedding celebration of his daughter Cleopatra, Mm -hmm. Philip was assassinated by one of his guards. Pausanias. That, well, that's very rude. You remember um, when you were saying they liked the P names? P but, names. P names, yeah. Back again. Exactly. So we have two of the P, two of these people are named the same thing. Okay. So settle in for this. All Pausanias one right. mm-hmm. is the assassin. He, tra- he he comes up to Philip while he's mid speech, stabby stabby. 
and he runs away. Now, apparently there was some sort of conspiracy here because there were checkpoints lined up and there was a horse waiting for him. Oh. So he runs out of the palace, Mm -hmm. gets on his horse, and he falls off the horse. Oh. (laughs) And then that's how Philip's guards are able to catch back up to him. And stabby, stabby. And stabby, stabby. And Pausanias, one, is killed. Now we have uh, Philip's dead. Yep. And people are saying, what do we do now? Oh, Alexander just happens to be right here. Alexander walks in. Sorry, I'm late for the wedding. Oh, my God. What happened? That's horrible. And the army immediately proclaims Alexander. It's like, oh, no, Dad. No. 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 The army immediately proclaims Alexander as the new king. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So now we have what historians have been wondering about the motives. Now, content warning at this point. The last comments here are going to be dealing with the context of sexual assault, because that's how this started. In the historical sources, there is some discussion of Pausanias' motives, and it seems to have been that there was a romantic relationship between Pausanias, number one, the mm. assassin, and okay. Philip himself. Oh. But Philip had recently taken a younger lover, also named Pausanias. Well, that's just got to be extra hurtful. Yeah. So we'll call him Pausanias too. So Pausanias one got jealous of the other of young Pausanias two of number two, and killed him in battle, or had him killed in battle. Had yeah. Pausanias two killed in battle? Yeah. Okay. And so in revenge, one of Pausanias two's friends, Attalus, that general, who had just we had just heard about. Yeah. Yeah. He intoxicated Pausanias one, got him drunk, uh-huh. and sexually assaulted him. Oh. Now. Pausanias I then goes back to Philip, and he demands justice against Attalus for this. Mm-hmm. Attalus was actually the one who was in command of those 10,000 troops in Asia Minor, the advance force against Persia. Yeah, so and Philip's like, eh. I can't get rid of this guy. Yeah. So what he offers again is to give Pausanias I a promotion. Mm-hmm. But now Pausanias I has been uh, assaulted. Understandably, he's very angry. He has sought uh, justice and you know arbitration in, from Philip, and Philip's rebuffed him on this, and he's tried to placate him. And some people have said that was the motive. That's why he did it. Other people have said that Alexander and his mom, Olympias, had encouraged Pausanias. Oh, like, so all those other things had happened. And they were the ones like, hey, you but should then they really were like, kill him. You shouldn't put up with that. Exactly. We'll never know the truth. Yeah. Unfortunately. Darn. Yeah. Personally, I'm pretty sure Alex had something to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Philip's dead. No. No. Next time we're going to be talking about Alexander, but we've got a little bit more here because Philip gave us one of the unique treasures in the ancient from the ancient world. We actually don't know where Alexander's buried. For instance. I know. I've listened to a lot of like series on that of like, where's his body and yeah. everything like that. But I'll tell you what, we actually have Philip's body. Mm-hmm. In 1977, there were four tombs excavated at the Great Tumulus at Aigai, the burial ground of ancient Macedonian kings. It's near modern-day Thergina. Among the four tombs, they were looking particularly at number two. It was elaborate and ornate, contained many treasures, including the remains of a Macedonian king. The first impressions, there was a grieve, like kind of a shin guard there, that was made to fit someone with a broken leg. And we know that one of Philip's later campaigns, he had broken his tibia when he had gotten stabby-stabbied. The skull had damage to the right eye socket. Oh, God. And ancient sources say that Philip lost his right eye to an arrow while he was besieging a city. It's like, 
And it scooped it out with a spoon. The skeleton was also holding a spoon. (laughs) (laughs) Holding on to it and trying to say, no, don't do that. No. Yeah. Now, there's been some disagreements back and forth. Some people said it was a different tomb. Some people said it was the right one. But the historical consensus, as recently as 2015, has stated that the body in tomb two is Philip II. Nice. We can confirm that he's got, like, they were able to confirm, like, his, his leg has been injured. They found another um, evidence of another injury on his hand because mm-hmm. there was another battle he was in where he got smashed on his hand. And, and later sources said that when he was older, after his, um, after his leg injury, he actually did not walk that well. Mm. So he was kind of hobbling for a while. They found evidence of injuries that would corroborate, correlate you know, correlate, or, yeah, correlate with those literary sources. Um, the only thing is with the eye, they don't think it was whatever. I don't. The article I read, it was just saying like we don't think it was caused by trauma. It looks like it could have been caused by trauma. I, I don't know. They were they went back and forth on it. We don't think it was plucked out with a spoon, but yeah. it might have been plucked out with a spoon. Yes, basically. Because they were like, well, it does seem like the, the the sinus cavity was damaged. I'm like, okay, so something hit it then. So he yeah. something hit it, or he hit something. Nevertheless, they did say like we're pretty sure yeah. that that was Philip. So we actually yeah. have this dude's body, and I know that you in particular have looked at the the facial reconstruction or the the computer generated reconstruction of his face. <laughs> it's horrifying. He looks like a goober. He's a frightening man. Yeah. You yeah. see him, like, going in to hug his kids. They're like, Daddy, no. That'll cause some trauma. I know. Yeah. Oh, God. That yeah. poor last... Because, like, you you take all these things into consideration, and that one, uh, like, you know, historian of the time being like, he was too old to be marrying this girl, and you see him, like, hobbling towards her, and she's like, oh, God. Come here, come here baby. <laughs> she's like, no. No, never. <laughs> so... Lastly, to kind of wrap it up, Philip's legacy then. Um, Sorry, you're like, Philip's leg. I'm like, it's broken. (laughs) (laughs) Such was the end of Philip, who had made himself the greatest of the kings in Europe in his time, and because of the extent of his kingdom, had made himself a thorned companion of the a throned companion of the twelve gods, thorned. (laughs) He ruled for 24 years, and he is known to fame as one who, with but the slenderest resources to support his claim to the throne, won for himself the greatest empire in the Greek world. So, Who said that? Uh, this is Diodorus Siculus. Cool. I really think I should have let in with, like, here's what the Diodorus Siculus that's had why, to say about him. That's why I was saying, who said that? Indeed. And that's Philip. Wonderful. All right, let's give him a trial run. Let's, All let's, right. Let's, uh, we'll make Philip our guinea pig and see yeah. if we can test out our ranking system on him. It's kind of like whose line is in anyway, where the rules are made up and the points don't matter. There you go. Yeah. Good. Except our rules are set and firm, but the points don't matter for They him. do not matter. Nope. This is just for fun, like we said. Aristea. Battle prowess. Mm-hmm. How do you think he did as a soldier and a warrior and a general? Oh, excellent. Um, Look at everything from, you know, stepping in his baby nephew king um and then really like bringing in those big revolutionary like tactics and overhauls to the army first professional standing army the 22 foot long spears that still wouldn't have protected (laughs) me from an arrow i have Um, so much faith in you meredith and you should have faith in yourself (laughs) i am the one percent for natural disasters (laughs) nothing Um, else though (laughs) nothing not for anything that would help me not in wealth not no 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 no. just but natural disasters i'm the one arrows (laughs) (laughs) Um, and things like that. No, I mean, it's all pretty phenomenal. I do especially love the whole, like, Athens, I'll take this city for you. And they're like, thank you. (laughs) And he's like, I took it. I'm not giving it back. Right. And meanwhile, that city's like, we were never anybody's. Um, (laughs) so what's your score? 
And remember, folks, we're doing like one out of 10 for each of us, so 20 points total for each category. Oh, gosh. Well. Hey, if it's if it's a perfect score, it's a perfect score. No, because I don't believe in perfect scores. Mm -hmm. I guess I'd go nine. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, pretty much, I would agree with you 100%. Those military reforms by themselves transformed the Macedonian military. I was going to take off a couple of points because he did lose a couple of sieges. Yeah. But actually, you made a really good point. No one no one bats a thousand. No one's perfect. So I'll go a nine as well. Okay. I was going to go eight, but I'll go nine. So 18. Eutychia. Success. How well do you think he did as a ruler and administrator? Nine. <laughs> nine? Okay. <laughs> well, no, I feel like I just summed up. I feel like at least for him, a lot of what I would say he excelled at in terms of like a ruler and administrator once again comes back to like all the reforms yes holding it together obviously stepping in i'll sound like a broken record when the king was a baby as you you know said in the episode there were like they're being attacked from all sides yeah. and then at the end they are stable and getting ready to go invade persia yeah good time to be alive <laughs> if you live in Macedon for yeah. everyone else no it's probably horrifying I would still for most people in Macedon still, <laughs> but the people, ruling class yeah 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 well okay you get what I mean I do I know I like totally that would... Macedon isn't being attacked they are attacking but at least you can just scratch off the idea of armies riding up over the hill oh no you're, off you're, for you're, a long period of time yeah your your point's totally valid I mean Macedon started as a backwoods rump state and when Philip died in the span of 20 years, it was a powerhouse. Yeah, he won the Olympics. Well, he won one game. His horse racing, I think. His yeah. horse racing. I might actually go back on what I said a minute ago and give him a 10. It's hard to argue with what he did. He took a backwards kingdom of hillbillies mm -hmm. and turned it into, you know, the major power. Like the, like the leader of Greece. I mean, Macedon, for all intents and purposes controlled 95% of Greece, you know. But the reforms, think about also the diplomacy. Yeah. So you had like the aristocracy in Macedon, the idea of the king being first among equals. And in that kind of situation, for a king to be in complete control is really impressive because there's it's not legal force. There's an element of coercion, obviously, but there's also charisma, his ability to unite people under his leadership is very impressive. There's also, I mean, I think the military reforms kind of go in hand in hand with that because he funded those armies with the gold mines in Macedon, and that to a degree, that's, uh, you could say that rejuvenated the economy to a big degree. I think also, as we said, it's not just his military power, his diplomacy, like with the Greeks, playing people against each other, keeping Athens and Thebes off balance and just mm -hmm. kind of keeping them from al allying with each other that little switcheroo he pulled on athens like stuff like that he was smart he was savvy yeah and i don't i mean arguably i don't know a lot about uh, alexander we haven't done his episode yet but the impression i'm getting now unless you know when we do alexander i learn about all these great things yeah. like like revolutionary things he did I'm very much seeing him as like somebody that was handed a very stable situation right. and it's like you'd actually have to try really hard to mess this right. up. And there's a big difference between being the person that built it up and handed it off and then the person that just springboarded off of that work. Right. On the other hand, I just, I just remembered that the whole reason that Philip got assassinated was one of his subjects was 
aggrieved mm-hmm. and had a, like had a grievance. Yeah. And he did not solve that perfectly. And that's the whole reason that he got assassinated. So we could take that away from him. Yeah, I'll drop I'll drop that to an eight. Then. Well, I was going to drop mine to a nine. So do okay, that. okay, so eight and a nine. Yeah, we just each take a step down. You can't please everybody. That's no, just you rule can't, number one. But you could arguably please them to a level that they didn't go kill you. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I was also would keep in mind like those arguments you have with Alexander. Yeah, that could that can't have helped the stability of his reign. So yeah, so all right, so eight and nine. Acon. Image. What do we have visually to represent? We though? have his face. We got his body. Yeah. yeah. And they actually did facial reconstruction on him. Um, and he's quite horrifying looking. As I said, he's a goober. <laughs> yeah. See, goober to me is like a sweet old man. If Philip was coming towards me and I was like that last wife on the wedding day, I'd just be crying. I hear you. Mm-hmm. I think goobers can be frightening and endearing. <laughs> okay. Hey, that's my twisted view of horror, the horror genre. Oh. You know, so that's why clowns are so scary. You know what? I will give him a 10. Yep. Just because I don't think there's anybody else that we're going to be able to say, like, we have their body and a facial reconstruction. Hell, I we don't even have Alexander's body. Oh, I know that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, there are busts of him. There are yeah. Yeah, statues. But the fact that we got his body. Yeah. And then if we could do a facial reconstruction. Oh, I'd take a facial reconstruction over, like, 20 busts or statues. Oh, uh, like yeah, any especially day. the fact that, like, a lot of these coins, their eyes are so big that they're like anime characters. So. Yeah, <laughs> and then you're just sitting there like... Is it because the coin surface is so tiny, or did you all have really big eyes? Well, well that's one thing we're going to notice when we get into some of the later rulers. Like the Ptolemies. The Ptolemies, the Seleucids, and even the Bactrians. Like Some of these coins are very impressive, but some of them are just atrocious. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, it makes it look like they etched it with their foot, you know? <laughs> but, um, all right, I would do the same. I would go with the 10. Mania. Craziness. Just a reminder, these this score is kind of the reverse you get more points if you're crazier how loopy do you think this guy was i don't think he was really loopy i mean he started to do <laughs> old man stuff there at the end like okay. Ma- <laughs> like are, marrying a, old man things marrying a girl that's just like way too young getting drunk at your wedding reception and having a fight with your son in front of everybody but yeah i never <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just seeing like every family reunion and every Thanksgiving gone wrong where you have that one uncle. There won't even be alcohol there. Somehow he gets drunk. He's drunk yeah. already. Yeah. Wasn't drunk when he hugged you high, but is drunk five minutes later after Somehow. you take his coat. And he's just like, hey, throw us something. Now you're not my real heir. Yeah. Yeah. yeah throwing the cup. So yeah, nothing that would make me go Tripping like, over the couch. I mean... Mm-hmm. So what would you say, like a zero? I'd just say a zero. I can't really, I mean, anything I can think of was normal for the time. Polygamy, normal, you know, stuff like that. Um, I think I would be, I see your point. I think I'll be a little bit more critical of him because of the alcohol thing. So he seems to have been a competent ruler, but he seems to have had an indulgence problem. Quick to anger, you know, a very irascible feuding with Alex. Mm-hmm. Picking fights with your heir. 
not probably not the smartest thing to do. And the whole getting drunk and tripping on the couch, that had optics. So All right, two. so you'll go a zero. Yeah. And I'll go a two. Oh. Kronos. Time. Talk about the length of his reign. This is where we do math. This, yeah. We're, all, we're measuring the length of every ruler's reign against Alexander's. Mm-hmm. Which so, was 13 yeah, years. Yeah, 13 years. So Philip reigned for 23. So he already beats him. Yeah. But what we're doing is since we're assessing this against Alex's reign, we're going to take those 13 years and spread that across 20 points, which comes out to like 0.65 points <laughs> for every year. And so Meredith has her fancy smancy calculator. So 0. 0.65 times what, 23? 14.95. All right. Okay. Bonus point. Catastrophe. Did you die? Yes. Yes, he did. <laughs> well, everyone's going to die, but. Yes, that's correct. Everyone's going to die, but we're giving this category as a bonus point, which will be awarded if someone managed to die of non-assassination causes. Yeah. Or, yeah, did you die peacefully in your bed or just at least like in battle or yeah, something? Yeah, or sick. Yeah. Or sick. Just not assassinated. And Philip was assassinated. Assassinated. So, so he does no not get that point. point. Yeah. No. Nope. <laughs> All right, Meredith, you're going to add these up for us. All right. Ready? Mm-hmm. 18 for Aristea. Okay. 17 for Eutychia. Akon, we gave him 20. Romania, two. <laughs> and Kronos, 14.95. What do we got? 71.95. All right. We got it. Yeah. Okay, Meredith, why don't you just kind of play us out then? All right. So join us next time where we will be moving on to Alexander, who may or may not have just inspired some guy to kill his dad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Yep. That's it. We'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening. And this has been... The Alexander Standard.